Welcome to the Extras Podcast, where we respond to the questions you sent in during the Sunday Sermon. Hi, my name is Sophie, and I will be the new host for the Extras Podcast. I think this is a great place to help us think deeper about what we hear on Sunday, to ask questions, to be intellectually curious, uh, and to stretch ourselves and keep coming back to the Bible to check that what we're hearing is true. This week, we've started our new sermon series in the Lord's Prayer. Peter will be sitting down with me today to answer some of the questions that you sent in. So let's begin. Well, welcome, Peter, to the extras. Thank you for your sermon on Sunday on the Lord's Prayer. This is a new series for us, uh, and you've been doing a bit of prep and helped introduce us to the Lord's Prayer uh, with the first part our Father in Heaven. Uh, you've been doing lots of prep on this. Tell us, uh, what's something that you have appreciated or learned whilst you've been preparing this series that you didn't get to share with us on Sunday? Yeah, thanks, Sophie. It's great to be here, great to be back uh, with the extras for another year, and good to be starting in on our series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, having a sermon on only four words. Um, <laughs> I got home and uh, Pamela said to me, you only really did two. <laughs> um, as I reflect, maybe I really only did one, um, so uh, I didn't talk as much about our as I wish I had. Um, something that just strikes me every time I look at it is that the Lord's Prayer is a plural prayer, uh, which mm. we didn't talk about very much, but we pray together our Father. We don't pray my Father. Uh, we can pray my Father, but that's not the prayer Jesus teaches us. He teaches us our Father. And it just, to me, I think, uh, as you kind of probe into that, uh, it just makes so clear how um, the fruit of the gospel is the church, hmm. not just Christians, not just me and Jesus, but Jesus and all his people, his church, his, his uh, people that he gathers around him who together call on God as our Father. So that was something that was striking to me. Didn't uh, manage to get it into the sermon, but I think it was well worth reflecting on. Mm, yeah, I think that's that's really important. There's a communal aspect to prayer and the fact that we're united together in that uh, God is our Father. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, uh, we've, As you mentioned, we talked a lot about um, God as our Father, um, that one word that you focused on. Um, just wanted to think about, uh, you mentioned that we are not all God's children, but we are all God's creatures. And so this is quite significant to be able to call God our Father. Um, he has adopted us as our children. Um, wanted to ask, it, Jesus was speaking to a crowd here. Uh, not necessarily everybody there was followers of Jesus. Um, so can we say uh, that it is appropriate for non-Christians to call God their Father if they prayed? Um, yeah, are we all God's children in some sort of way? Um, help us to think through what's happening there. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think that you've got Jesus teaching, for example, the uh, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. It's in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's worth looking at the, the, the broader context of what you're uh, reading about. Um, as we read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, uh, when Jesus saw the crowds, so there's a big crowd of people there, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Uh, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So Jesus does seem to actually have a focus in the Sermon on the Mount on his disciples. So these are words for disciples and 
This is a picture of life lived as a disciple, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And uh, within that, uh, I would say at the core of that is this vision of calling on God as Father. So I think Jesus is defining discipleship Mm -hmm. uh, and the Lord's Prayer is an important part of that. Now, of course, non-Christians, non-disciples can listen in on that. But if they uh, want to follow Jesus, heed Jesus, uh, build their life on his teaching, as he says at the end of the sermon, uh, it means learning to pray our Father. Uh, which means ultimately coming to God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, as an adopted child, forgiven, reconciled, and adopted. So I think I really want to say, uh, no, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer for the children of God, and we can only become children of God, known as a children of God by birth, only by second birth. Mm, yeah, okay. So this is a prayer for disciples, um, those that come to God and therefore the children of God. Um, is that kind of what you're saying there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Uh, Context is helpful. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, another passage we might uh, have a quick look at is Acts chapter 17, verse 28. Perhaps contact context here is also key. Um, this is where Paul is speaking to a crowd of people in um, Areopagus. And he mentions that these people have an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. And he goes about his speech explaining that God is closer to them than they think. And he talks about that creation aspect that you touched on in your sermon, that God has created um, all. And then he quotes um, another verse that talks about God being the father and we are all his offspring. yeah, again, perhaps context is helpful to think through here, but how do we um, think about that in terms of our prayers? Yeah, so, so Paul has this uh, little quote, uh, we are his offspring. Um, uh, he is, as you say, speaking to the pagans, to uh, non-Christian Greeks. He's in Athens. They love talking about God's stuff, debating about spiritual things. Um, he says, oh, you're so religious, you even are happy to have an altar to an unknown God, um, just Mm. in case there's one, you know, out there that we don't know. Uh, And he cites one of their own poets, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. The Paul at this point, he's not citing uh, the Bible, Mm. and he's perhaps not willing to endorse every possible implication of that phrase, but he's trying to make a bridge with the way that they think already about the spiritual world about God or the gods, and particularly uh, the sense that uh, we all have um, our origin in God. And this is, he cites this phrase um, to illustrate what he's been talking about, um, how from one man God made all the nations. Mm. Um, So he's uh, certainly not saying, and therefore you all have the right to call on God as Father. Yes. Saying that, you know, we all have our our origin in God and for that reason he's not far from any one of us we can reach out to him uh, and make contact with him mm. yeah I think that's a helpful way of thinking about it in terms of just that little phrase you use there the right to call on him as father um, I think that's helpful uh, because it is a special relationship between father and child that is different to, to as you point out in your sermon uh, creator and creature Um, And so the privilege that we have to call on God as Father is a special one. Um, 
yeah, okay, that's that's helpful. Um, helps us to think through uh, that Christians are the ones, those that have been saved and accepted Jesus as their saviour, the ones who can appropriately call on God as their father. Um, and perhaps that's a good lead way into our next question. Um, can non-Christians pray to God? Can, if we are with them, say, saying a grace before dinner or something, and there are non-Christians around, can we still call God our Father in those moments of prayer? Um, yeah, help us to think through that. That's a good question. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, we can, as Christians, always call on God as Father. Uh, can non-Christians pray? Uh, well, uh, they can, they can pray to God. Um, and in fact, uh, for anyone who is a child of God, is a Christian person, that relationship begins when we pray as a non-Christian, God, please forgive me. Mm. I'm sorry, I repent of my sins. Please uh, forgive me because of the Lord Jesus. Help me to change and to live your way. So uh, non-Christians have to be able to pray for there to be such a thing as conversion. Mm. Um, otherwise, we could never uh, call on God and become part of his family. Uh, as for uh, whether uh, people in general can call on God, uh, yes, yes, of course, you know. So God is the God of the whole world, the God mm. of every person. And the Bible tells us that God uh, shows his, you know, what the theologians call common grace. Mm. You know, so yeah. he makes the... He makes the sun rise on the just and the unjust alike. The rain falls and it doesn't just fall on the godly. You know, the ungodly get to have their crops watered as well. Yeah. Uh, so can uh, non-Christians seek blessing from God? Yes. Yes, they can. Uh, and that, you know, if God chooses to give blessing to them, will either draw them to him as the, the generous God or or confirm his just judgment in their refusal to give thanks to him mm. as the generous God who sends rain on their fields or health to their family or whatever it is. Uh, so non-Christians can pray because God's the God of all, of course, uh, but they can't pray with the assurance of God's children. Mm. Uh, they can pray in uh, a confused and a, um, I would say, a, a, a wishful sort of a way, not with firm assurance, knowing God's will, that they know what to ask mm. in such a way that their prayers uh, will find um, a, a reception that is a yes. Yeah, yeah. I think that's um, definitely true. I think that God can actually even work through non-Christians' prayer to help bring them to himself. Mm. Um, I've definitely heard stories of other people and they talk about how they would pray um, to God or, or even ask God for things. And in as they've been doing that, God has been using those moments in their life to bring them to himself. So, yeah, I think that God uses non-Christians' prayers all the time. But as you said, yeah, it's not the, the same sense of assurance um, there or the same sense of privilege that we have in terms of calling on God as our Father. Um but, yeah, God is a good God who loves to give good gifts, hey? So um, friendship and laughter and work and, um, yeah, all the wonderful things that we have in this world are for um, many of us, not just Christians. Um, That's right. And I would say that as God uh, showers those gifts on us, on, on all of us, uh, of course they're meant to uh, 
um, draw us to receiving the greatest gift from him, the, the gift of calling God as Father, not only having the gifts of God, but having God himself, mm. uh, God the giver. Yeah, the ultimate gift. Mm. Mm. Well, this um, flows nicely into that. It's perhaps more general. Um, is it biblical to pray to God for blessings or gifts for those who don't believe? Um, we've already sort of already touched on this um, a little bit more, but perhaps some guidance for those who are unsure how to pray for their non-believing friends um, when they're going, particularly when they're going through a difficult time. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts about that? Well, yeah, I think absolutely pray for them. Yes. Uh, you know, pray for, uh, pray for their health, pray for, uh, success and prosperity pray for you know whatever they uh if they're asking you to pray Mm. pray for them and tell them you're praying for them Uh, pray too for them that they will come to understand what it means to be in a relationship with god not just uh, a relationship of wanting uh, somebody to give you good things but like we said a relationship uh, of knowing god as giver uh, knowing god as lord uh, and knowing that we actually need God's forgiveness for um, our failure to uh, live appropriately in light of all he gives us. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's really helpful. And um, yeah, it is, as I was saying before, people do turn to God and come to God as Christians through those kinds of prayers. Um, it's a good thing to let our non-Christian friends and family know that, um, that we are praying for them because um, they can see that and that that might mean something to them and help them to think more about, yes, who is this God and and what is my relationship with him? Um, yeah, I think it'd be a great thing to pray for non-Christians and let them know that that's what you've done. Absolutely. I, I think, as you say, it can, uh, this can be a part of our kind of uh, missional relationships with people. If there's a, a strong enough um, human connection between us, friendship, just that, mm. you know, they know that we care about what they care about um, they're having trouble at work, their kid is sick, they share it with us, they say, hey, you know, I'm really worried or sad, and say, hey, would it be all right if I pray for you about that? And they'll know that for us, care for them looks like prayer. And that's, uh, that's a, a wonderful kind of step to take in your relationship, voicing that this is important to you, and because they too are important to you, you're going to pray about it. Mm, yeah, I think that's totally right. Um, and perhaps this uh, next question connects in a little bit with what we were talking about, um, the difference between non-Christians and Christians praying to God. This question's come in that said, uh, Peter, at the, at the near uh, close of your sermon, uh, you said that if uh, they pray this prayer, God will certainly hear them. Does that imply that there are prayers which God may not hear or even certainly won't hear? Well, I think the the short answer is yes. Yes, it does. Um, Now, of course, God will, like, hear every prayer in the sense that God's never... Sorry, I didn't quite catch that. Mm. Um, You know, nothing escapes him. He hears, he's aware of every request everyone makes, um, but he won't necessarily grant every request. And Mm. and God is not going to grant requests that are not in line with his will. Um, So... Uh, we read in, in, in James, um, James is sort of you know, laying into the people he's writing to, he says, you don't have because you don't ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. That You may spend what you get on your pleasures. Uh, and so there's wrong asking uh, going on and God is not going to 
grant those requests because they're, they're asked coming from a wrong place and presumably yeah. will do damage to the asker if yes. they are granted. Mm. And so God, in his kindness, refuses to hear and to grant such prayers. Yeah. But we read in, in John's letter, John's first letter, we read, uh, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Uh, so there's, that's just a, a, a blanket confidence. When we ask mm. what God wants, he says yes to us. And this, I think, is uh, what we're doing when we pray the Lord's Prayer. We are, are learning to understand what it is that our Father wants. And we voice our requests to him in line with his will, in line with what we've learned of his will. So as we've learned from God what God wants, we ask for God, we ask from God what God wants. And this is the prayer that he will certainly hear. Now, uh, if I'm asking for things that contradict the Lord's Prayer, you know, if I'm if I'm praying that, uh, you know, that God, that, that, I don't know, that, that people won't... Um, hear the gospel and be saved or that Christians will fall prey to temptation and give their faith away. You know, is God going to answer that? Absolutely. That's an outrageous thing to ask. Of course not. Of course yeah. not. Yeah, they're not necessarily magic words. Like, if you pray these words, then God will hear you. But if you don't, he'll block out everything else. It's more about God res- uh, responding to prayers. Uh, the ones that are in line with his will are the ones that he will answer yes to. Um, but he does hear all prayers, um, but yeah, responds to them in different ways. That's right. And I think this is also an important um, kind of middle ground here. There's the things we can ask that are God's revealed will to us that he certainly will hear and answer yes. Mm. There's things we could ask which are in contravention of God's will, obviously, uh, that in no way will he, he grant to us. Mm. Um, and he's right not to, of course. There are things in the middle which uh, I think have to do with specific ways that God's will might work out. Mm. So uh, God, you know, we, we pray that he will provide for us, that's what give us this day our daily bread means. Uh, so if I'm praying that I may get a certain job mm. uh, or keep my job, uh, I know that it's God's will uh, to provide for me, to see me right. Um, mm. But through this particular job, I don't have a word from God about that. Perhaps it's God's will that I learn to trust him, uh, even though I lose my job um, mm. and I uh, face an uncertain future. Perhaps uh, that's how God's will is done at this moment. Mm. Uh, so, you know, this goes for all the kinds of things that we ask. You know, I think lots of our prayers fall into this category. You know, pray, um, you know, I have a, a chronic health issue and I pray that God would take it away and I would get better. We know ultimately, yes, it's God's will that um, sickness be drummed out of his creation. God doesn't want that. But is it God's will that um, sickness be taken out of my life now mm. before the restoration of all things? Well, I don't have a word from him on that. Yeah. It's God's will that I cling to him even as my body decays or even as my life works out disappointingly not the way that I wish it would be. It's God's will that I put my faith in him is it his will to take it away? Uh, well, it wasn't his will to take away you know, Paul's thorn in the flesh. Uh, mm. It was his will that Paul learn my grace is sufficient. Yes, yeah. Um, perhaps a bit of a spoiler to the to the week ahead. Um, to the weeks ahead, your will be done. 
um, it's good to pray also that we would discern God's will and know um, his will, that we would get to know God better and understand what is right and wrong through reading God's word and and learning more um, about God and who he is. And over time, I think that'll help align our hearts to God's will and to be praying more regularly the things that God wants us to be praying um, as well as learning to be content with what is God's will, even when it goes against what we want. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I guess this is why we catch Paul so often as he tells us what he's praying. He says, I'm praying that you'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Mm. Uh, it's an important thing to know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this uh, sermon was very squarely around God the Father, but who do we pray to? I mean, Yes, God the Father, that was very clear from your sermon. But is it at times appropriate to pray to Jesus? How does the Holy Spirit fit in? Yeah, who should we be addressing our prayers to? Uh, I think, well, we learn from Jesus that the kind of the, the, the shape of Christian prayer is prayer to the Father through the Son and the power of the Spirit. Mm. Uh, and this really reflects the shape of the gospel. You know, so we read. Uh, for example, in Ephesians chapter 2, this, I think, amazing just little summary of what it is uh, to be a Christian. Uh, it says, through him, that's Jesus, we both, and Paul means uh, Jews and Gentiles, all people, through Jesus, we, all of us, have access to the Father by one Spirit. So in there you've got through the Son, we have access to the Father through the Spirit. And this is the shape of the Christian life. And so it makes sense that our prayers reflect that shape, praying to the Father in the name of the Son through the Holy Spirit. Now, is it wrong to pray to Jesus? No, it's not wrong. Um, In fact, when Stephen is about to die uh, in Acts chapter 7, um, he he calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, um, and he doesn't get, you know, a rap on the knuckles, mis- misaddressed prayer, sorry. Uh, you know, God, Thank God. goodness. <laughs> yeah, he didn't have much time to fix it. Uh, God answers his prayer. Um, is it wrong to pray to the, to the Son or even the Spirit? I would say no, but we, we, we want to be learning from Jesus yeah. how to pray and learning from the shape of Scripture. We don't, as far as I know, let me know if there are, we don't read of prayers to the Spirit uh, in the uh, in the Bible, I'm not aware of any. Is it wrong to call on uh, the Spirit to work in your life? I don't think so. But mm. you know, we're calling on actually, um, we're calling on the Father to pour out the Spirit of the Son into our hearts. And so, you know, every prayer we're praying is a Trinitarian prayer. Yeah, yeah. Each each person of the Trinity is involved in prayer in some way and that it's the way it is through Jesus and his sacrifice um, that we can even be adopted as God's sons and daughters to pray to him as father in the first place Um, that talks about Jesus being the high priest that mediates between us and God Um, I think that involves involves prayer Um, yeah and the spirit moves in us to pray um, the things that we should be praying Um, so yeah I think as you've as you've already said, um, yeah, God hears our prayers, um, not necessarily with the magic words or we have to say our Father every time, but to learn from the way that Jesus is teaching us to pray here is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, Peter, you seem to uh, to kind of explain to us how as a culture we 
potentially find liturgy or scripted uh, words difficult to use sometimes. Um, perhaps it's hard for us to be present when we use them, can be a bit mindless. I know I have been in the past. Um, but does that mean that we should get rid of liturgy? Are you pro-liturgy? Are you against it? Yeah, talk us through that. Okay, we're asking the, he the heavy, That's it. The hard hitting questions on Let's the extras, in. pro or anti. Are you an Anglican? <laughs> Whoa. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I said some things in the sermon which were less than fulsomely glowing about the idea <laughs> of liturgy, so traditional uh, scripted forms of words that we might pray together in church. Uh, and this caused a bit of a reaction from some people. People think, whoa, I, I think it's a good thing. How come you're so down on it? Um, I just want to say uh, that's really pushing at an open door because I actually uh, think that traditional forms uh, do have a great deal to commend them. They can be very spiritually helpful for us. And I want to say that even repetition, uh, even repetition, just repeating the same words verbatim together, I think can be really, really helpful. Uh, this is why our uh, services, one of the things that I oversee as the magnification pastor, is the kind of sculpting of our gathered time. Mm. And this is why even in our non-traditional services, uh, if you look carefully, there's lots of moments where there are structured uh, words, structured forms and elements that we share in different kinds of ways. Uh, also at St Paul's, uh, we do have a service that runs entirely according to a uh, a formal mm. uh, set liturgy and I would say maybe a little cheekily that anyone who uh, hasn't got enough in their life is welcome to go there at any <laughs> time 745 Sunday mornings they'd love to have you they'd love to have you there that's for sure it's great yes so um, I'm pro liturgy I think it has a lot to commend it uh, and uh, so anyone who's worried oh how come we hate liturgy now we don't <laughs> it's all right don't worry uh, I want to say a couple of things you know as you said um, kind of kicked off by reflecting on the fact that I think the general cultural mood is against things like liturgy. So traditional set words that you don't deviate from, you know, you find them and you read them. Um, I think regardless of whether we think this is a good thing or a bad thing, and as I've said, I don't think it is a good thing that we're so down on those traditional forms. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's just a fact. Yeah. I think it's just basically an unarguable fact that uh, liturgy is well and truly out of fashion. It kind of smacks of, uh, you know, being formal, being fake, being dead, uh, being irrelevant. Um, is it a good thing or a bad thing? I don't think it is a good thing, but I think that's just the case. Lots of people feel that way. It's a general mood. Mm, yeah. More broadly, that's where we're at as a culture as people come into our churches even though we may understand you know liturgy to have been a great blessing to the church that's just kind of the reality of where we are at the moment with the people that are coming into our churches but also the people outside of our churches as well it's a very foreign thing to stand up and say uh, sentences together um, yeah a bit foreign a bit strange to many others yeah yeah that's right um, and so I think you know as uh, and we should recognise it's not just the people out there have got a problem with this. We have a problem with it too. So mm. the spirit of the age is in us. Um, and we, uh, many of us, will also feel a bit, this is a bit weird, I don't think I've, I like this very much. Mm. Um, and it can take us a minute to figure out uh, why there's something worthwhile about repeating old words. Mm. Um, that's not a natural thing for us to do. Um, so it can take us 
a bit of time, and it's worth recognising that difficulty that we have. Uh, I think it's also worth recognising, um, as we try to recover some of the benefits of um, saying traditional forms of words together, which I think we should do, it's just really important for us to be careful about it and to be clear-eyed. Um, sometimes people talk about uh, liturgy and it's part of a part of just sort of a bit of a nostalgia for a vanished age. Mm. Oh, it was good then. We should, we should we should do that. We don't do things like that anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's worth recognizing, I think, that um, when a generation before us, uh, people largely did away with liturgy. They didn't do it for no reason, uh, and they didn't do it only because they were captive to the spirit of the age. Uh, there were real dangers. I think to using liturgy as well, um, you know, repeated words can uh, fossilize, mm. you know, and just become sounds that we make uh, rather than prayers that we uh, pray from the heart. Uh, and as you've already said, you know, in terms of our mission, um, it can be very uh, difficult for people to make sense of what's going on. Yeah, um, liturgy set words can mask our lively faith. Now, we might feel, as Christian people, no, 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 the words are how I express a lively faith. They yes. help to sustain a lively faith. Mm. But people walk in and uh, hear people saying old words and think, do these people, what's going on? Do they just get together to read out of a book? What is this? It's yeah. just a tradition thing? Of course it isn't, um, but it can. Uh, that's a bit of a barrier for us to get over. So I think there's lots of benefits to doing those kind of traditional words when we get together in church, and I think those benefits outweigh the negatives. I think it's important for us to be clear-eyed that there are pitfalls here and if we're gonna have traditional elements in our gathered time we need to do it really carefully wisely and well yeah we're not saying that uh we need to do away with the apostles creed or the lord's prayer we're, we're doing a sermon series on the lord's prayer so yeah we're definitely uh for it but we want to be thoughtful and intentional about how we use those things and not just roll them out because that's what we've always done um, and I know that uh, we all feel passionate about the things that we've experienced to be beneficial to us and to our faith. Um, so I can totally understand why uh, some of us were surprised if, or if it came across as um, though you were saying that liturgy is bad, which you weren't saying. Um, yeah, and so we want to share what we've experienced as good in our lives with other people, but we forget that sometimes the things that we've experienced as good can sometimes be barriers to other people or confusing to other people. So we need to be thoughtful about the ways that we uh, help each other to honour God um, and to consider the words that Jesus has here and how we should be using them more regularly, um, more thoughtfully in our own lives. Mm, that's really helpful, I think, Soph. And uh, I, yeah, I think I want to say in addition i'm sure that i was not as uh, careful as i could have been in my wording and uh, that's of course a part of the issue here so uh yeah we um i'm glad to have the opportunity to talk around this issue a little more because it's an important one yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to the rest of this series um so far we've focused on four words maybe just one but uh, i'm looking forward to getting stuck into the next the next few words looking forward to that yeah, for more, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. This Sunday. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much, Peter, for your time. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye.